Hello, and welcome back to another episode of You Heard It Here First, the show that helps you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and on today's show, things get dark and twisted when we review Bella Mackey's latest novel. Then we switch things up to find out if Matt Haig can get us thinking about all of our life choices. And today I'm joined by two guests, one who is dying to tell us all about their love for cat fiction, which sounds niche, but is surprisingly good. And we're joined by debut novelist Inga Vesper to talk about a book that really moved her. Let's crack on. Today, we're starting off with a couple of reviews from you. I've had a good nosy on the Audible website for the most honest and compelling reviews of their bestsellers. This week, I wanted to know what you really thought of the Audible original series, People Just People with Dermot O'Leary. First up, we have an Amazon customer who left this five-star review. Honest, funny, touching, loved it. I love Dermot's openness and humility and this is reciprocated in how his guests respond to him. It makes an insightful and at times poignant podcast that extra bit special. Oh, that sounds lovely. And we have another glowing review from Mr Piccolo UK who also gave it five stars. Heartwarming stuff, but safe ground. This is an enjoyable companion to my daily walk. Dermot has a warm, friendly and engaging interview style, but rarely asks his subjects tough questions about their life experiences. Fascinating nonetheless, well worth the 44 minutes to one hour listen. Thank you to the anonymous Amazon customer and Mr Piccolo UK for those reviews of People Just People with Dermot O'Leary. You can find it on Audible. Each week, we pick out different reviews from Audible's website to see what's got you talking. So keep listening and you might find your own review here. Now it's time to get into a new release that I've been seeing absolutely everywhere. Today, I'm reviewing How to Kill Your Family by Bella Mackey. If you've been following us on social media at YHIHFpod, then you might have seen that we were debating whether to review this or Agatha Christie's Midsummer Mysteries, and you all voted for How to Kill Your Family, which I have to say was a great choice. To begin with, we are introduced to our main character, Grace Bernard, a 28-year-old woman who is serving a sentence in Limehouse Prison. Grace reveals she is serving time for a crime she didn't commit, but this doesn't mean she's innocent. To kill time and also break away from her annoying cellmate Kelly, she decides it's time to share her story, revealing what she's really guilty of, and it's a shocker. You are immediately sucker-punched by how cold and calculating she is as a character. Grace is by all definitions an awful person. She is vindictive, a snob, and has a distaste for pretty much everyone. And yet, I ended up loving her and her sarcastic dialogue. And in the end, I was rooting for her to cross everyone off her list. So you might be wondering, what has she actually done? Early on in the book, you find out that Grace was an illegitimate child to the multi-millionaire business tycoon Simon Artemis. The Artemis family disregarded Grace's mother Marie and left her pregnant with no financial support to look after herself or Grace while she's growing up. Marie, once a beautiful model, gets ill and passes away from the hardships of her life and leaves Grace an orphan. 
As she grows up, Grace is fueled by hatred towards the family who rejected her and creates an intricate plan to kill them all off, one by one. Let's have a listen. So they're old, they're mean, and they take up precious space in the world. And all of this would be reason enough to help them meet their end in a more unpleasant way than might have originally been on the cards. But if I'm totally honest, it's mainly because they knew. They knew about my mother. They knew about me. And they didn't just flap their hands and do nothing. They actively lobbied their son, blaming Marie, Helene, the clubs, his friends who led him astray. They blamed everyone but Simon. He shirked his responsibilities as a father, and his family helped him do it. I thought they were living their lives unaware that their son had rejected his child and left her mother struggling. But they wanted it that way. And in the end, that's what swung the decision. They die first. Ooh, it's chilling. There's no denying it. Grace is super clever. She leaves literally no trace behind when she kills. She's clinical and precise rather than malicious and messy. My favourite murder was when she injected a peach serum into a face mask and sent it off to someone who is highly allergic to stone fruits. You'll have to give it a listen to find out who the victim was. This was Bella Mackey's first fiction novel, and I think she smashed all of our expectations with this one. Bella's passion outside writing is running. She even wrote a book on it called Jog On. I found it intriguing to hear that Grace's favourite hobby was running too. A gentle nod to what she knows, perhaps. The book is full of twists and turns, and Mackie's sharp humour made it a really fun listen. The standout part of listening to this book has to be the narrator. Charlie Clive did a brilliant job and played the perfect Grace. She came across as cunning, yet cool, calm and collected. And if you looked at the description, you will have seen that there is a second narrator which came as a complete shock to me. And that is all I'm going to say on that. I'm not quite done talking about the narration, though. While I loved Charlie, what I didn't love was the editing of the audiobook. There were some pauses in there that felt very odd. Although, if you listen on 1.5 speed, you probably won't notice. So adjustable speed for the win. I was also a little disappointed by the ending of the story. As much as it was a surprise, I wish it had ended differently. It almost seemed a bit rushed and ended quite abruptly, but maybe that was the intention. All in all, How to Kill Your Family was a great listen, and thank you to those of you who voted for this firecracker. If you're a fan of Killing Eve and are looking for a book to match that, this is the listen for you. Who doesn't love a beautiful murder? You can find How to Kill Your Family by Bella Mackey over on the Audible website today. Now it's time for our Hidden Gem section of the show, where I take a look through some slightly older treasures on the Audible website. And the book I've chosen today is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. The Midnight Library was a joy to listen to and really made me stop and think about my own life and how I want to live it. You're first introduced to Nora Seed, who has given up on life. She lost her job at a struggling music shop, her cat Volts was hit by a car, and she has no contact with her brother, who is her only living relative. With all of this, her regrets in life and her depression looming over her, Nora feels that she has no other option but to end it all. You may be thinking, how terribly sad. Well, it isn't over for Nora. Instead of dying, she's transported to the Midnight Library, which is like a reimagined limbo, a place in between life and death. 
The library is full of books of various shades of green. What a lovely visual. There, Nora is reunited with her old high school librarian, Mrs. Elm, who explains how she isn't dead yet and the infinite books surrounding her are the different lives she is living in alternate universes. Let's hear a clip. You have as many lives as you have possibilities. There are lives where you make different choices, and those choices lead you to different outcomes. If you had done just one thing differently, you would have a different life story. And they all exist in the Midnight Library. They are all as real as this life. Parallel lives. Not always parallel. Some are more perpendicular. So do you want to live a life you could be living? Do you want to do something differently? Is there anything you wish to change? Did you do anything wrong? Doing one thing differently is often the same as doing everything differently. Actions can't be reversed within a lifetime, however much we try. But you are no longer within a lifetime. This is your opportunity, Nora, to see how things could be. Nora is faced with the possibility of trading in her old life for a new one, where she can undo a breakup, bring relatives back from the dead, or follow her childhood dreams of becoming a glaciologist. In one existence, we see Nora following through with her swimming talent, becoming an Olympic champion and a real success story. But is this the life Nora wants? As the story carries on, we see that each life isn't the perfect fairy tale she always wanted. Each new experience negatively impacts her original life, or her root life as they refer to it in the book. Nora goes through a mental journey to find out what is truly fulfilling in life, and with the help of Mrs. Elm and the library, she discovers what it is that makes life worth living. The book on the surface can seem quite dark, but it is written in a very gentle and sensitive way. The author, Matt Haig, has been open about his own battle with depression and his mental health, so he really knows how to write about the topic without it being triggering or overwhelming. I want to touch on Carrie Mulligan's amazing narration. I want her to explain all life's mysteries to me in her soothing tone. She makes listening to the book really relaxing and her voice is perfect for before bed when you're starting to wind down. Philosophy and guidance are themes that carry on through the book. Nora is a huge fan of the subject and the tale is peppered with quotes from philosophers such as Voltaire, Thoreau, Aristotle and Sartre. We also hear some very wise words of wisdom from Mrs. Elm that makes you think of the complexities of life in a very different way. I personally like the quote, though Haig has said that people have mocked his writing as tea towel wisdom. Now the publishers are going to create a tea towel with quotes from the book, which I think is hilarious. I will definitely be buying one. I love a tea towel. This book is a great one to open your mind to a new way of thinking about life and death and how you want to go about living your own. The philosophical elements aside, it's also really fun to follow Nora's journey while she tries out different lives in different universes. Kind of like the new Marvel series Loki, but without the aliens. You can download and listen to The Midnight Library by Matt Haig on Audible now. Next up are two incredible guests who can't wait to share with you what they've been loving. First up is Sam Butler from Audible. Hey, Sam. Hi, Emil. It is great to be back. Wonderful. Can you briefly remind us what you do at Audible? 
Yes, I work in uh, the marketing department specifically with existing Audible members. Lovely. And can you tell us what you've chosen for us today? Yes, I've chosen The Travelling Cat Chronicles by Hibo Avikawa. What made you choose this book? It's super different to things that I usually read, but it really sort of made an emotional impact on me, which is why I thought it was one that was worth talking about. And I would recommend it to anyone. It's got a kind of universal appeal, I think, because it's focusing on the emotional connections between people, especially when they're younger, and the impact that people can have on each other, which is relevant to everyone. But even more interestingly, it focuses on cats or a particular cat as a sort of dog and cat lover it very much resonated with me um and i'm sure it will for many other people that like pets i actually really really enjoyed listening to this book because one the author hero has done such a phenomenal job of capturing so many different types of emotions and so much sentiment is inside this book and there are all of these feelings that i didn't know that you were able to articulate which i thought was just so beautiful it's so beautifully written what did you love about it was there anything in how it was written that really appealed to you i think you've hit now on the head there i think it's written like what i would say is kind of a simple way but i mean that in like the best possible sense it's super accessible mm but also is able to convey emotions that are just usually so difficult to get across. And it does it with a real clarity. And when one of the protagonists in it, Storo, meets and talks to his friends, you're able to very clearly see the impact that they have on each other, both when they were younger and now. And that isn't an easy thing to do in a way that is easy to understand and also just riveting to read as well. Mm, it is very captivating from start to finish. What were your standout moments? Was there anything that made you stop what you were doing? You just kind of took in everything that was being said in that moment. There are a lot, but very early on in the introduction, you get the scene uh, where Nana and Satoru meet. And at that point, Nana is just very much a stray cat, super confident, doesn't need anyone. But then when he's kind of resting in his favourite place, one day Satoru comes along and shortly after that, Nana has an accident, unsure of where to go in a bit of a desperate situation, he goes to Satoru. And it's during that time that you see their relationship kind of deepen. And at that point, Nana kind of becomes a bit of a hybrid cat where he's very much Satoru's, but also will let Satoru know that he could go and be a stray again if he needed to. Lovely. Let's hear a clip. What should I do? What could I do? Somebody, help me! But that was idiotic. Nobody was going to help us stray. Then I remembered the man who came every night to leave me crunchies. Maybe he could help. Again and again I screamed, until my voice finally gave out. It killed me even to call out, to be honest with you. Just then, I heard someone come down the stairs of the apartment building. When I looked up, I saw it was the man. I thought it was you. When he saw me close up, he turned pale. What happened? Were you hit by a car? Hate to admit it, but I messed up. Does it hurt? It looks like it. Enough of the irritating questions. Have a little pity for a wounded cat, okay? You were calling for me, weren't you, cat? You thought I might be able to help you, didn't you? I guess so, Sherlock. 
I really love that moment. I think it is quite nice that it was that a sense of desperation that Nana is giving off that like, where is this human? <laughs> but it's also like a really standoffish way. So it is quite comical when you're listening back to it as, of like, but you need this person, but you're also like begrudgingly, <laughs> begrudging of the help. It's really, really well done. I really love that. Do you think the narrator George Blagden was a good match for this book? Definitely. He does an excellent cat impression. And I don't mean that because he sort of tries meowing or anything. It isn't that. It, he's just very good <laughs> at being able to switch between what is a, a very human voice, very noticeably not Nana, and then be able to switch back to what is very much a cat's narrative. Nice. I actually struggled with George as the narrator personally. I felt like his voice was just too English. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, That's true. His accent was really, really like very strong, and the author is Japanese and it's all set in Japan. Is that correct? You are absolutely right. Yeah, it's entirely set in Japan. I think it was a huge hit there as well. Um, yeah. So this version is very much, I guess, anglicised. Yeah, it is quite anglicised, which makes sense because it's on Audible UK. But yeah. I also thought, yeah, for me, I, I was like, there's almost something not quite British about the way the story is written anyway, and that is in the the depth of emotion and the the way emotion is communicated and articulated in the book that it just sounded a bit strange coming from this very English voice. I'm like, you would never hear an Englishman be yes, so yes. poetic. So emotional, yeah. At all. Yeah, exactly. I actually couldn't agree more with that. That's a really good point. And I hadn't really thought of that. But I do think that sometimes his very English accent lends itself well to at least what I would think of as a kind of very prim and proper above it all attitude that Nana sometimes has. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sam. That was brilliant. No, thank you, Emil. The Travelling Cat Chronicles by Hiro Arakawa was Sam's pick this week. You can find it on Audible. And hoping to top that with their pick is special guest, author and journalist, Inga Vesper. Hi, Inga. Welcome to You Heard It Here First. Can you briefly tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Inga Vesper. I am still a journalist in my day job, but since the 4th of February, I'm also an author. I have uh, I published a book called The Long, Long Afternoon. It's a crime novel set in 1950s America. And yes, I guess that's why I'm here today. That's brilliant. Oh, I'm so intrigued to learn more about your book. Can you tell us what you've chosen for us today? Who's it by? What's it about? Give us all the things. Yes. So my audiobook for today is by Michael Crummy, and it is called The Innocence. It is a book set in around about the turn of the last century in Newfoundland, where two children need to survive after their parents pass away. And they live on this very exposed sort of Islet, I would say. It's one of these books where it's very difficult to describe the plot because there isn't really sort of one linear story um, to pursue, but it really is about how these children learn to survive, they learn to rely on each other, and they slowly start to understand what the world outside their very small remote island looks like. And um, I won't spoil the ending for you, of course, but um, <laughs> it's very, very good and it really gripped me. Amazing. Was the book everything you expected it to be? I think it was actually quite different from what I expected it to be because initially I thought this might be a little bit tween you know sort of two children on a little island and then they learn to survive but it came via a recommendation from a friend and I thought oh, I'll give it a try and was really blown away because it is anything but twee it is occasionally 
quite grim. It does go into some highly controversial territory, I would say. You really start fearing for these kids and, and their lives. And they obviously have had a very traditional Christian upbringing. And then that starts to clash with what they're experiencing around them all the time. You know, they, they sort of learn that God is kind and sweet. And then they see sort of the violence of nature. And you really, you know, your heart goes out to these children as they start to discover the world as it is really like sort of unsweetened and uncushioned. I remember the introduction being, it really drops you right into their world yes. quite quickly. And Absolutely. that bleakness is really, really apparent. Was there a standout moment in the book that just completely had you hooked from the moment you heard it? I mean, there were so many, but I don't really want to spoiler anything. So I think I will just go for the intro. And it's not a spoiler to say that their parents die. And this is really what it starts with. It starts with a very violent and gruesome mm. death of the father. And you very quickly learn that the mother has also died from the complications of childbirth. And it's yeah. it's it's merciless. And it sort of put me on, <laughs> it put me on my seat. I was on the sofa, you know, having a sort of cozy afternoon. And suddenly you're in this very violent, ice cold, hungry world. And um, it just absolutely pulled me in. So yes, I say the intro, the intro is a good place to start. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's have a listen. They were still youngsters that winter. They lost their baby sister before the first snowfall. Their mother laid the infant in a shallow trough beside the only other grave in the cove, and she sang the lullaby she'd sung all her children to sleep with. The woman was deathly sick herself by then. The ground was frozen solid when she died, and even if their father had been well enough to shovel, there was no digging a grave for her. Their father died in his bed before the new year. They were left together in the cove then with its dirt-floored stud tilt, with its garden of root vegetables and its scatter of outbuildings, with its looming circle of hills and rattling brook. The cove was the heart and sum of all creation in their eyes, and they were alone there with the little knowledge of the world passed on haphazard and gleaned by chance. Yes, bleak indeed. Like you said earlier in your description, there's so many subplots and different threads that they go down and it's so it was actually quite tricky to follow in the audiobook format did you find the same or actually did you find it quite easy to follow I did actually because also you know with an audiobook you don't listen to the whole thing in one go so I listened to it over several days and then sometimes I'd forget some of the little hints so there's a lot of hints throughout the book as to what the children have believed what's happened in their past and there are a lot of characters that sort of move in and out of their lives. There's a supply ship that comes regularly. There are people from a settlement, you know, several days hike away. And I think that was slightly tricky because you're so focused on, on the story of these two children that you forget slightly about all these other characters who are moving around in the background. And then when they pop up, you think, huh, who were they again? Um, also because the yeah. story is, is very much told in the language of the children. So in the first half of the book, when they're still quite small, because they don't have the same descriptions for people that, you know, adults would use, you need a little reminder that, oh, it's that person they're talking about. Yeah, I could, I completely hear you on that. I'd love to hear more about your recent book, The Long, Long Afternoon, which is very different to The Innocents. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? <laughs> yes, it's very different. So it's not cold. It's not freezing. It's set in California <laughs> in 1959. Nice. And it's sweltering hot. It's set in August. And the story centers on the disappearance of one of those perfect Californian housewives. She lives in a suburb called Sunny Lakes. She's happily married. She's got two small kids. And one day, the help, Ruby Wright, who is 
living the nightmare flip side of the American dream. She is an African-American woman who lives in South Central and cleans for the rich white people of Sunny Lakes. She comes to work and discovered that Joyce is gone. The two children are terrified and there is a blood stain in the kitchen. Mm. There is a lot of challenges in, in getting these characters together, trying to find out what happened to Joyce. And then Joyce herself speaks up every once in a while throughout the book to tell us about the day of her disappearance and what exactly happened. And then maybe it turns out that she wasn't so happy after all. And I shall say no more. <laughs> oh, wow. This sounds chilling. It's kind of like <laughs> completely juxtaposed of all the heat you were building up in the beginning. And now I'm like, oh, that's cold. <laughs> I feel cold. And finally, back to The Innocent. It's actually based on a true story. And Kremi said he needed to write the story to do the kids justice. Do you feel like he accomplished that? I think by and large he did. It's always very difficult with fiction writers. You know, I'm a I'm a crime writer. There are some real life cases that I have drawn a little bit of inspiration from. It's a very difficult thing to do because you don't want to change someone's story. You don't definitely do not want to be disrespectful to someone's story, especially if that story has involved great suffering. Um but at the same time, fiction is an amazing way to give people an experience without actually putting them through the ring. And so I think Michael Crummy just did an amazing job with that. And I think that empathy, that is so important um, to feel that empathy for characters. Yeah. Thank you so much, Inga. It was wonderful to chat to you today. Thank you so much for having me in your podcast. I really enjoyed it. The Innocence by Michael Crummy is Inga Vesper's pick. You can find it today on Audible, as well as Inga's most recent book, The Long, Long Afternoon. <laughs> Now it's time to hear from our better half, Audible Sessions, where Audible invites some of your favourite authors to talk about their new releases. And this week, I've chosen a clip from Mame Blue's Audible Session. Mame Blue is a Ghanaian Londoner who has a past working in therapy. She's also a co-host on the podcast Headscarves and Carry-Ons, which looks at the struggles of black girls living abroad. Holly Newson interviewed Mame from her home to talk about her new book, her fascination with relationships and her experience as a psychotherapist. Is there a reason why first relationships in particular that we make, why they're so impactful? I suppose because most people have that first person however old you were as a teenager, as a very young person who you imprint on, maybe it's a celebrity or someone that you have become obsessed with and that's the person that you imprint on. And then somehow, in some way, you might take up some of those traits into when you become, get to the age where you're ready for a relationship, you might take those traits forward and, and think, oh, I want somebody who is like this. And I think that first relationship is the first place you kind of start to learn about yourself because mm. you could be going along and be very self-aware, but you don't know yourself in relation to other people. And I think that first relationship is the thing that starts to make you realize your impact on other people, how your actions have some consequences and how other people feel. I think that just that first relationship is kind of a lesson for how you go forward, hopefully. Oh, I'd quite like to sit on Mame's couch and have her unpick what I felt about my first crush, Aaron Carter. I really want to know what that imprint says about me today. You can get more from Mame Blue by downloading her full Audible session for free on the Audible website, where you can also listen to her debut novel, Bad Love, which was one of Jacaranda's 20 in 2020. This was a publishing initiative where 20 titles by Black British writers were published in one year. 
And finally, it's time for our listeners' corner, which means I get to hear from one of you about a book, podcast, or drama you are raving about. This week, our recommendation comes from Jacob Wildfire for Shogun by James Clavel. Here's what he thought. My name is Jacob Wildfire, and I'd like to recommend Shogun by James Clavel, narrated by Ralph Lister. The audiobook, set just before the year 1600, follows the exploits of Englishman John Blackthorne, a sailor who becomes shipwrecked in feudal Japan. John, who immediately is renamed Anjin, experiences the vastly different Japanese culture, often through brutal means, and becomes deeply involved in Japan's complex and internal conflict. This fascinating audiobook explores the initial introduction of the West to ancient Japan and introduces the reader to its culture. The pacing of the plot and the flow of Lister's narration itself make for an engaging and enjoyable listen and one that I found myself returning to whenever I had a spare moment. Lister breathed life into each character, creating voices that are fitting and easily distinguishable from the others. If you are of Western upbringing, like me, it may have you viewing your values in a different light and better understanding a different way of thinking. Wow, what a recommendation, Jacob. It sounds like a really interesting piece of historical fiction. As a thank you, we're sending you two credits to download anything you like from the Audible website or app. Enjoy. And for your chance to win some credits, why not send us a review too? Just send us a short message telling us about your favourite listen and you might get featured here. Record a voice note on your phone or send us your thoughts and I'll read them out. Email your reviews or voice notes to us on yhihf at audible.co.uk or tweet us at yhihfpod. And sadly, that's all for this week's You Heard It Here First. In case you missed any of the titles we recommended today, here they are again. Audible Original, People Just People with Dermot O'Leary. How to Kill Your Family by Bella Mackey. The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. The Travelling Cat Chronicles by Hira Arakawa. The Innocence by Michael Crummy. The Long, Long Afternoon by Inga Vesper. Marmay Blues Audible Session. Shogun by James Clavel. Don't forget to catch up with us in between shows on social media. Send us your favourite or current listens and tag at YHIHFpod on Instagram and Twitter. And while you're there, give us a follow too. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen. Presented by me, Imriel Morgan. Additional voices by Lazara Morgan and Richard Hodson. And featuring Sam Butler and Inga Vesper. It was produced by Amber Miller and Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.